Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Did you hear me crack open the soda can during the intro? Because I left it in there just for you. Because sometimes I have to stop, take a drink, make sure the vocal cords are appropriately lubricated. Today's podcast is called Liquid Needs. Do you guys remember the O-Town song, Liquid Dreams? Everyone remembers the boy band O-Town from either their show, Making the Band, or from their bigger single, All or Nothing. But ironically enough, their first single was actually Liquid Dreams, and it was awful. It was the creepiest song I have ever heard from a boy band. It's just, just go listen to it sometime. Just listen to it, really pay attention. It's creepy. But today's podcast is called Liquid Needs. And the reason that we're talking about liquid needs is because team needs are not a fixed concept. What you think your needs may be in the future could end up being very different than what the needs are actually in the future. So what I want to do as part of the segment today, because we've got a couple segments, is I want to go through a few of the needs that I would anticipate we will be talking about when the league year 2023 ends. So we're approaching free agency in 2024 because needs are fluid. They change as players develop or they regress. The needs adjust when contracts get extended or players get unexpectedly released or traded. The reason why I want to go ahead and stake them now is because you can measure the progress that your team makes in the personnel development and acquisition process by what you thought your needs would be relative to what they actually are. If we plant our flags now and we say, hey, here's what I think the anticipated needs will be, and then we revisit it at the end of this upcoming season and say, well, here's what they actually are, you can see what the growth is that your team made in personnel acquisition and development. 
This is not a comprehensive list. It's simply a list. And it's done this way for a reason. It's because the overwhelming point of the exercise is that by stamping it now, you are better able to provide context to what the needs look like later. If we don't think about what we think the needs will be now, then it's very hard for us to judge the progress rather than just getting caught up in the moment. Get caught up in the last thing you saw and you spend the entire offseason angry or happy, mostly angry, usually angry, based on the last thing you saw. But if you take the time now, when, let's be honest, there's not a ton of major NFL news happening in May. OTAs have just started. You're crossing your fingers and going, please don't get hurt. That's essentially what OTAs are. Please don't get hurt. So now is a good time to look forward, make predictions, and then circle back to it. So let's start. The obvious one right out of the gate. Defensive tackle. The Bills currently have zero defensive tackles under contract for 2024. You've heard this before. Ed Oliver is playing on his fifth-year option. Daquan Jones is in the final year of a two-year contract, signed as a free agent. Tim Settle restructured his deal and will be a free agent after the season. And Jordan Phillips and Puna Ford signed one-year contracts as unrestricted free agents. It's not simply a talent concern for 2024. It's a numbers issue. And a more significant numbers issue you will not find. Now, what could change this need before the end of the league year? Number one, an extension for Daquan Jones. And it could happen at any time after this podcast drops. I would not be shocked if we saw it in the gap after mandatory minicamp and before training camp. You could see an extension for Daquan Jones. And Oliver could ball out in his fifth year and get an extension before he hits free agency in 2024. Puna Ford could play exceptionally well and get extended before hitting the market next year. Apart from those scenarios, there isn't much likely that will alter the need for the Bills. It's unlikely that Jordan Phillips, after being on multiple one-year contracts, is all of a sudden going to get a three-year one. Even if all three of those things happened, Daquan Jones extended, Ed Oliver extended, Puna Ford extended, you still need bodies at the position. Almost regardless of what happens from now until the beginning of the 2024 league year, defensive tackle is likely to appear high on the list of Bills' needs at that time. Next, safety. The Bills ran it back. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde once again are your starting safety duo for 2023. They signed Poyer to a two-year, $12.5 million contract after he tested the market in unrestricted free agency. Hyde is entering the final year of his contract. Both of them are 32 years old. The Bills signed Taylor Rapp away from the Los Angeles Rams, and I love Taylor Rapp. Versatility lends itself very well toward the possibility of a future replacement for either Hyde or Poirier, but he's on a one-year contract. You can't count on that in the future. You're probably not going to franchise tag a backup safety, so you have to just hope that he plays well, hope he wants to stick around, hope he signs an extension. DeMar Hamlin's health should not be assumed 
So making assumptions about his ability to be a long-term starter for the team after Hyde departs may be presumptuous. Again, we will ask, what could change the need before the end of the league year? Well, Micah Hyde could sign an extension that would line his contract up with Poyer, but coming off a neck injury, the Bills may want to see how Hyde reacts to live football again before making a contract extension decision. Taylor Rapp, as we previously mentioned, is in an odd spot because we don't know how much playing time he's going to get this year, and it would be enough to warrant an extension before the end of the league year if we had it. And that might make us feel differently about the need in 2024. It feels like this need, very much like defensive tackle, is almost assuredly going to show up high on the needs list because the things just don't line up logically right for this need to be like resolved. You're not like, okay, we're fine there by the time the league year in 2024 rolls around. Backup quarterback. This will be on the list like almost every single year. Because the backup to Josh Allen would have to be a drafted player so you can get them on a multi-year contract. But the drafted players don't have the experience that then bestows the confidence in their ability to get the team out of a game or out of a stretch of a regular season if Josh Allen were to miss time. And so round and round we go on the one-year backup quarterback carousel. Some things that could change this need before the end of the league year. I legitimately can't think of anything. Apart from Kyle Allen loving the Bills and the Bills loving Kyle Allen so much that they sign him to a multi-year extension before free agency starts in 2024. Edge rusher. When you sign a pass rusher in his 30s to a six-year contract, you do not get the luxury of waiting until you're five to start worrying about succession planning. Von Miller showed us early last year that he was still capable of playing at a high level. But even if he hadn't suffered an ACL tear during the season, the Bills would still be left at the position with only an effective player who's older and a young, promising starter in Gregory Rousseau, who they are hoping takes the next step toward being an elite player. Now, some things that could change this need before the end of league year. Boogie Basham and or A.J. Epinesa could break out. It doesn't appear highly probable that either of them would rise to the level that you would consider to be an alleviation of the need, but we must acknowledge it as a possibility that can alter the way we feel about this position moving forward. New England Patriots have a pass rusher named Josh Uch, who broke out in a big way in 2022, his third year, recording 11 and a half sacks and forming an impressive pass rushing duo with Matthew Judon. If Basham were to break out, no contractual maneuvering is necessary because he'd still have a year left on his deal. If Ebenezer did, he would need to be signed to an extension as he's entering the final year of a four-year contract he signed as a rookie. Even if Rousseau continues his growth and becomes an elite pass rusher, the need's still going to be there for the Bills because of Miller's age, and you have to have more than two competent edge rushers. So the task of changing this need in 2024 falls to Epinesa and Basham. They're the ones who will determine whether or not this need shows up on the list for 2024. Some quick hitters, real fast. Wide receiver. Does Gabe Davis walk? If he does, is Khalil Shakir ready? Is Deontay Hardy ready? Possibility that need shows up. Offensive tackle. 
How do you feel about Spencer Brown? Center? Are we okay with Ryan Bates sliding over and taking over from Mitch Morse? If Mitch Morse were to hang it up? Linebacker? Does Dorian Williams, we're going to talk about him in a second, or Terrell Bernard take the spot over? Running back? Just kidding. But make a list now, stamp it, and then come back to it when the league year opens in 2024. This will help us stamp how the organization has done in succession planning, player development, things like that. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about liquid needs. Now, we're going to talk about OTAs and the biggest thing to come out of OTAs. But first, I'm going to tell you a real quick story. This morning... I was asking my wife what she wanted to do this weekend. And she said, I'd like to see a movie. And I said, oh, okay, you, we, we, what do you want to see? And she said, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I was taken aback for a quick second, not because she wanted to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3, because I, she loves Rocket. M- my dog is named for one of the characters in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Drax, he is Drax the Destroyer. It wasn't the fact that she wanted to see that movie. It was the fact that she used the word see. And I realized something about the way that I interpret her vernacular. If she would have said, I want to watch a movie, I would have assumed she wanted to stay home. Watch a movie on DVD. Watch a movie. Yeah, I still do that, by the way. I have have physical media because I'm old. She wanted to watch a movie on a streaming platform of some sort. Something we have recorded. If she said watch, we assume she wants to stay home. If we say see, we assume she wants to go out and watch it at a theater. Think of those statements. What do you want to do, Bruce? I want to watch a movie. I want to see a movie. Do you hear it? See implies a certain level of action. And watch implies a certain level of Passivity. So you can watch something, but that doesn't necessarily mean you see something. Seeing something implies a level of action, a little of going out. It's intentionality. Watching something is a lot more of a passive verb. Try it with your spouse. I want to see a movie. I want to watch a movie. Those two statements are not interpreted the same way. So as we go through OTAs, I am trying my best to see stuff, not watch stuff. Because there's a difference. You watch some clips, but you see a specific thing that the player did. That's the difference. And the seeing this week comes in the form of Sean McDermott saying that third round two lane draft pick at linebacker Dorian Williams is beginning his career learning middle linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. Which is good, because that means there is a higher likelihood that he has a path to playing time. But one of the things we need to talk about right now, and one of the things that's kind of popped up 
in the consciousness of Bill's Mafia after the Dorian Williams selection is what exactly is it that a middle linebacker is? Because I think that there's a correlation that we should make in our head between linebacker and running back, and I want to try and draw it for you. What determines whether or not a running back is good running between the tackles is not his weight. It's helpful for sure. It's nice to be a little bit heavier, but some of the best inside running backs are 210 pounds. Just because they're 230 doesn't mean they're better as an inside runner. The exact same thing is true for linebackers. The thing that makes you a good Mike linebacker is not just your weight. So whether or not Dorian Williams can or cannot play middle linebacker will not be dependent based on the weight that he plays at. Because he's already passed the threshold that you would consider to be acceptable for middle linebacker. It's not so much better if you're 250 than if you're 230. That's not, oh, well, he's going to be way better inside because he's 250 or if he's 230. He might actually be worse at 250 than he is at 230. We need to see linebackers and running backs as two sides of the same coin. They are mirror images of each other. A will linebacker is to a defense what an outside zone runner is to an offense. People who might do better the longer they run sideline to sideline. A Mike linebacker can be compared to an inside zone runner where the information comes at you faster and more furious and you need to make decisions quickly. Great example. Kendra Miller, running back prospect, Drafted by the Saints in the third round, TCU. He was really good on inside zone runs. Tank Bigsby, runner out of Auburn, was drafted by the Jaguars in the third round, was much better on outside zone. We understand this sometimes with running backs, but we don't understand it with linebackers. When you hear someone is a run and chase linebacker, they are better because they can run really fast and process as they go. Some running backs are better because they get to stretch the defense out horizontally. Slow down that vision a little bit and then plant that foot, cut up field, and go. They don't have to make the decision in 0.5 seconds. They can make the decision in 1.5 seconds. Decision-making speed is far more important when determining inside effectiveness and outside effectiveness than most other traits in running backs. It's the exact same thing on the opposite side of the ball for linebackers. What's going to make Dorian Williams a success or failure isn't going to be how thick he is. Listen, the arm length is nice because it helps you in destroying blocks. Block deconstruction is a significant part of playing Mike Linebacker And the reason that is, is because you don't often have two defensive tackles in front of you that are two-gapping, which means you are far more likely to have an offensive lineman up in your gravy as a middle linebacker. So block deconstruction is important. But the better you process, the less block deconstruction you need to go through because you'll be able to get to your spot before the block gets to you. Processing is so important to effectiveness as an inside zone runner 
And it's also effective as an inside linebacker. There are plenty of really good running backs who are just markedly better on outside and wide zone. There are plenty of really good linebackers who are just flat out better run and chase as a linebacker. See ball, get ball. We just need to come to an understanding of what traits we are seeing when we intentionally watch a preseason game and are paying attention to Terrell Bernard and specifically to Dorian Williams. Not what are we watching, because you're just watching the game, but what are you seeing? Are you seeing processing skills from Dorian Williams? Are you seeing them from Terrell Bernard at Mike? Because that's what we need to see when we watch the game. We do the same thing with running backs. We focus on weight. As somehow that's going to make somebody a really good inside run. It's, it's a football myth. It's a little bit like height in the red zone. The best red zone receivers are not necessarily the tallest ones. The best inside running backs are not necessarily the heaviest ones. And the best inside linebackers are not necessarily the heaviest ones. We should just know ahead of time what traits we're going to be looking for when we are watching the game and hoping to see development from Bernard and from Dorian Williams. I want to get to a listener question because Ben sent this to me. He said, Bruce, what chance would you assign that the Bills will use Justin Shorter as Kincaid's primary backup? Similar height, weight, speed, I assume good hands and contested catch abilities. If the Bills invested a one in Kincaid with the goal of substantially changing their scheme up, seems like losing Kincaid would force them to revert to last year's offense. Maybe Shorter lets you stay with the scheme you want. I don't think they'll ask that position to block much anyway. Interested in your take. Um, The fluidity in and out of intermediate routes is very different for Dalton Kincaid and Justin Shorter. So I would be very, very shocked if you saw almost any Justin Shorter in the slot. Like, almost at all. I think that you're looking at him as a special teams player first and foremost. I think you are looking at him as a boundary receiver secondarily and hoping he can develop I would be absolutely shocked if we saw two snaps of Justin Shorter in the slot this year. I recognize what you're saying as far as if Kincaid goes down, you change the offense. But that's true with every star player. And you're hoping he's that good. You're hoping he's good enough that you're forced to change the offense if he were to go down. I mean, it's that way with Stephon Diggs. It's that way with Josh Allen. It's that way with Deion Dawkins. It's that way with Mitch Morse. So I understand that line of thinking, but that line of thinking is intrinsic with everybody who's important because you can't have a really important player without there being a significant drop-off to the backup unless the backup is also that really significant player, in which case they wouldn't be a backup, they'd be a starter. When was the last time you had two star players, one of them backing up another one? It's just not that common. So... I understand the logic. I would be shocked if we saw any of Shorter outside of special teams and boundary receiver. And if you lose Kincaid, well, you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.